0: Fifteen years on up, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am evil. Not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This week's podcast will be on Arfin Neset, and I have to say, this one is going to be a little different, because while we have plenty of information on him in his middle-aged years, there is not a lot about his younger life, so the format of this podcast will be slightly different, but I do hope you enjoy. Arfin Neset was born on October 25th, 1936 in Trondelag, Norway. And as always, let's get into a little history of Norway around that time. In 1936, the last parliamentary election took place and was the last one to take place in Norway before World War II and the German invasion. Norway also competed in the 1936 Summer Olympics in Berlin, Germany and actually did very well in several categories. Norway's economy was improving this year and was then greatly improved by 1937 due to the volume of industrial production, which was greater than ever before in their history, their crops being the largest on record foreign trade was good for the country during this time including fishing and whaling operations this time for Norway was a time of prosperity but as we all know World War II was looming just around the corner so this was the atmosphere that Arnfin was born into Arnfin Neset was born to his single mother, and his father was never in the picture. As much as I dug, I could find no information about his biological father whatsoever. Arnfin later stated that there was some stigma about being what they then called an illegitimate child. His mother did eventually marry, but Arnfinn said he and his stepfather rarely spoke to each other. And apparently, after his mother and stepfather did get married, they moved away for an indetermined amount of time, and Arnfinn was left to live with his grandparents on their farm. And though his grandparents did the very best they could by him, He described being a very lonely child and bullied about being born outside of marriage. Regardless of living with his grandparents or returning to his mother and stepfathers, religion was apparently a very big theme throughout his childhood. The young boy was expected to follow a strong religious line as his family had for generations. His family was certainly not rich, and they were also not the most affectionate people, by reports. Some experts look at how close he felt with his mother as a, quote, fixation. And, you see, he likened himself to Jesus, born from a mother who was not married, that he nearly worshipped. His biological father was just some you know, mysterious man that he never really knew, and though he thought of himself as a kind and good person, it was the outside world that was always persecuting him. And yet he did want to be accepted. He wanted to be part of the, quote, man's world around him, but he was timid and shy, not the strong, strapping type that seems to have always been preferred. By society. And that's pretty much all we have as far as Arnfin's childhood. There really isn't much to go on, and believe me, it was by chance that I found a snippet of court documents that were translated to English so that I could get even that much. But we do have a little to work with. So, we all know what a baby being born out of wedlock is. They call that being an illegitimate child. Now, while I couldn't really find specific data about the stigma regarding this in Norway back in the 30s, I do feel confident in saying that it would, at the very least, be somewhat comparable to the rest of the developed world. Back in the day, these children were called bastards, meaning without a father. Being an illegitimate child was an unfortunate label describing that baby's status as an outcast, socially and legally inferior to others who were born to married parents. The unmarried parents as well as the child could suffer penalties like confinement in isolated maternity homes or even dangerous baby farms. And, of course, there is always the overall community disapproval. Before the 1960s, unwed mothers were generally considered not deserving of public benefits that are readily given to financially strapped widows or wives who have been deserted. The women were shamed and shunned, tainted with sexual immorality, In extreme cases, illegitimacy was actually considered a major factor in the perpetuation of mental deficiency, disease, and antisocial behavior. These were children considered, quote, feeble-minded, the uh, byproduct of insanity or epilepsy and so on. So this no doubt leads to the child being treated very differently compared to the other children and being bullied because of it was common. Just like another very famous serial killer, Ted Bundy, whose mother shamefully had him in a, you know, quote, unwed mother's home off and hidden away from the judgmental eyes of familiar society. Now, we don't know how old he was when his mother got married to his stepfather and left him to live with his grandparents, but considering he did say it was during his childhood, we can make some assumptions that he was A, old enough to remember, and B, not quite a teenager. Up to this point, he had most likely had his mother all to himself, not having to share her attention or affections with anyone else now when she began her relationship with his stepfather and they decided to get married it would be sort of like a next level reminder of the fact that his own father wasn't around Arnfin would also have to learn and adjust to sharing his mother's love with another person Some children even show increased attachment to their formal single parent and they usually express jealousy. And then we have the issue with him being left to live with his grandparents, though we don't really know for how long. Before that, he would have already been wondering where exactly did he belong in the new situation He might have felt like he was being, you know, pushed to the side, but then he actually was at least to him when he was sent to live with his grandparents. We can't know why his mother would leave him and go live elsewhere with her husband. But I'm sure we can all agree that no matter the reason, completely relatable or not, it would have had a severe negative impact on the boy he would have felt abandoned, not good enough. First his father, and now his mother. Can you imagine? He also, in later statements, brought up that he was raised in a very religious, strict Christian household. The fact that he brought this up is significant, but a lot of people are brought up in very strict religious households and don't go on to murder people. Eventually, at some point, he was living with his mother again and there is no more mention of a stepfather. Now we don't know if he was still in the picture or they separated, but we do know that he stayed with her from then on into his adulthood and we know that they remained close. So, with the limited information available about his young adult years, we have to assume that since he was born in 1936, he would have graduated from high school around 1954. After that, he went to school to become a registered nurse. All sources say he lived with his mother during his adulthood. But there was one sentence of a mention of a wife and two children, but there was nothing about when he was married or for how long. And again, only one source mentioned that he had a wife and two children. So a psychologist who worked with Arnfin later described him as a quote, emotional misfit. This can lead us to the conclusion that he never really felt like he was an equal to his peers within his community. His overall behavior would have been different from others. If he continued to live with his mother long past when most leave, his local society would have looked at him, you know, at least a little differently. Due to his childhood and how he described himself as lonely and so on, I am prone to believe that he was also maybe anxious considering his being bullied as a child and his described unassuming nature. The overall picture we get is that he was socially awkward and most likely kept to himself. Now there just isn't any information about him doing anything outside of his comfort zone as a young man. He lived with his mother. He got up, he went to work as a nurse, he did his job, he came home, and that was that. He completely lived under the radar for nearly another 20 years. There was some testimony from a woman who had studied anesthesia with him back in 1962. She stated, quote, I have only good things to say about Arnfin Nasset from the time I first met him. He was a very kind student. He was also very skilled and could do anything on the ward. He was very good with his hands. You would have to find someone who knew him back then on more than this superficial level to know what he did outside of that. And at this point, he's in his 80s so that might be hard to do. But the story picks back up when he was hired as the head nurse at a large nursing home community in Orkdal. Arnfin's beloved mother died in 1975. Two years later, in 1977, the now 41-year-old became the director of the Orkdal Valley Nursing Home. He surely had a great reputation and was respected in the local medical community to be able to even get this position. He was described as average height, slim, he wore glasses, his back stooped just a bit, and he was, by this point, balding. He was described as mild-mannered and carried out his duties professionally and adequately. And yet, not long after he accepted his new role as director, the patients seemed to be dying in greater numbers. While death was obviously something that a nursing home was used to dealing with, the increase raised some eyebrows. But no one seemed terribly concerned, though some were also noticing that Arnfin was ordering a large amount of cuiracet. Curacet is a white, crystalline, odorless chemical. It was discovered in 1906, and its properties were realized after studying the effects of the drug on animals. Then in 1949, it was used to induce paralysis. It is derived from a plant that can be prepared and used as a poison tribes in south america dip the tips of their arrows in this poison which hinders the respiratory muscles from being able to contract thus causing asphyxiation it has to be injected because ingesting it causes no issues now its medical use is mostly limited to short-term muscle relaxation in intensive care and with anesthesia it is widely used because it is one of the fastest acting and has one of the shortest duration in its class. It is used often when a person has to be intubated or, you know, having a breathing tube inserted. Now, here's the interesting part. Curacet does not actually render a person unconscious. It does not replace anesthesia. So without accompanying anesthesia, the effects of this chemical will most likely mean the person is feeling everything being done to them while being completely unable to communicate this fact to their caregivers. So needless to say, it's not supposed to be administered to a conscious patient. And if the patient is not receiving oxygen due to their paralysis. They will die from asphyxia. So, when asked why he was ordering these larger amounts, he stated that there was a rat problem at the facility and he was using it to kill them. However, it became increasingly hard to ignore the correlation between the sudden increase in deaths and the large amounts of the muscle relaxant he had ordered. So after an employee of the retirement home called a local journalist and told them of the orders of excess drugs, the journalist then informed the police. In March of 1981, the authorities paid the nursing home a visit to interview Arnfin. This time, he stated he was using this chemical to kill stray dogs hanging around the facility. Investigators asked to look at the records of deaths and it was pretty apparent that the death rate had spiked in the now four years since Arnfin took over as the director of the facility. The police took him in for questioning after discovering he had ordered 280 doses of this drug, far more than would ever be needed at a nursing home. This was enough to kill at least 30 people. During questioning, Nassette still stated that the poison was used for these stray dogs, but it didn't take long for him to finally confess to murdering 27 patients between May of 1977 and November of 1980. Arnfin was quoted as saying, quote, I've killed so many. unable to remember them all, unquote, which prompted the authorities to request extensive lists of every single patient who died in the three different institutions where he had worked since 1962. After the investigation, detectives were left with a list of 62 possible murder victims, and ordered autopsies to see if they could find the poison in the victim's system. However, doing autopsies would be useless because curacit increasingly degrades traces of itself with time. Not to mention, many of the people that died had been cremated. Arnfin gave several different motives for why he murdered the sick and the elderly under his care. At first, he said that they were mercy killings, that the patients were suffering and in pain. Then, he blamed them on his supposed schizophrenia, thanks to some clear suggesting of a criminal behavior specialist. But he did not have schizophrenia. So, he said it was as simple as morbid pleasure in having control over life and death itself the act of the murder itself. But four psychiatrists examined him and they determined that he was quite sane and fit to stand trial. Just before his court date, Arnfin Nesset suddenly recanted his confessions, which left the prosecution scrambling. But he was ultimately charged with murdering only 25 of the victims, along with Five counts of forgery and embezzlement that were added due to the killer's improper use of some of his victims' money. Nasset pled innocent to all of his counts when his trial opened in October of 1982. He testified that there just had to be something wrong with him and that none of his crimes had been sexually motivated. Experts testified that he had had a troubled childhood and adolescence, which had a great negative impact on him. It bothered him greatly that he had been born from a single mother. Five months later, in March of 1983, the jury convicted him of 22 counts of murder, one count of attempted murder plus five counts of forgery and embezzlement. Nasset was acquitted on the remaining three murder charges. The judge was not impressed by Nasset stating he considered himself a, quote, demigod, holding the power of life and death over his elderly patients in his hands. His conviction ended with the maximum sentence possible under Norwegian law, 21 years in prison, with a possibility of 10 more years preventative detention. He was first eligible for parole in March of 1993 after only serving 10 years, but he was actually finally released in 2004. So he's out, guys, and rumor has it he's living in an undisclosed location in Norway under a different name so to me this story is one of a man who felt completely out of control in his youth being made fun of for the negative social stigma of being born outside of marriage he was a slight man unassuming not considered a threat to anyone after the death of his mother which I think might have been the catalyst for his murders. shortly after. He killed because he liked the control. I mean, think about it. He was an educated man who knew that injecting someone with this drug would render them paralyzed and that they would subsequently suffocate, knowing full well what was happening to them the whole time. His victims, conscious of what was happening, would have been terrified and powerless to defend themselves. And I think that is what he got off on. But what do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram at Serial Underscore Killing or YouTube under the same name of this podcast. You can visit my website at SerialKilling.Squarespace.com and also considering sponsoring the podcast. Become a patron. It's fun. I promise. Kind of. It takes a lot of hours to do this work, but I do love it. And thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every one of you because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me. Have a great day. Music by Kevin MacLeod on Incompetech.com.